Diagnosis of adjustment disorders is based on identification of major life. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> hell no, man! We can't just come off like that, man. Listen, it's off the dome, dog. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So today, welcome, 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 and we're the Sports Psych MDs. Sports Psych MDs podcast. Yes, and I'm Tori. This is Armin. That's right. And today we're going to talk about adjustment disorder, recovery from injury, career transitions. Maybe. Well, maybe okay. we'll get into that, but. Mostly, we're going to talk about what happens after you t- something bad happens. Adjust- what, what, the, what is adjustment disorder? Like, it's like we can't just be throwing these like medical jargon terms from the DSM out. There. But we're saying there is a, there is a psychiatric diagnosis of mental yeah, illness. It actually is. It's a real thing that involves suffering some sort of negative uh, effect to your life, and then having to adjust to it. It happens a lot in professional sports, right? I mean, I don't think that. People like us can really even fathom the life of a professional athlete. You know, it's just a whole different level. And these guys are millionaires, you know, they're beacons in the community, you know, they're heroes in their families, you know, stuff like that. A lot of stressors, a lot of different things going on, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And then, you know, fans, obviously, and, you know, nowadays with social media, I mean, there's, there's oh, a don't whole get me start on social media. Another layer and level of pressure Ooh, for these guys. It's delayed development in our, in our youth. You know, and, and so anxiety and, and stress is just such a, it's, it's going to run rampant. And adjustment disorder is what would happen when a person is confronted with a, a major stressor, you know, or an, an accumulation of, of several significant stressors. And then there's just kind of like a reaction, mm-hmm. you know? A reaction that's out of the ordinary. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's sustained. You know, everybody has a, has a, has a bad day. Some people, you know, you, you may even for a couple of days just kind of not be totally yourself, but mm-hmm. persist for, for weeks. Yeah, and it, and it can involve really debilitating depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms. It can cause behavioral issues where you're getting in fights all the time with your family and your friends or your coworkers, and, and this is all caused by a major life stressor that's what causes an adjustment disorder or what incites an adjustment disorder and not to mention you can also have physical symptoms like debilitating migraines and stomach aches uh, so these major life stressors they can happen to to anyone and they most likely have already happened to, to you, you listeners, they include anything from a loss of a loved one, a devastating breakup, a divorce, a foreclosure on your house, a failing a giant test, anything that kind of knocks you off your rocker and then results in an out-of-the-ordinary response where you, you essentially have dysfunction in an area of either your job, school, or relationships. And then you throw in, when you think about athletes, they have to deal with all, not only all that, but they're in this hyper-competitive field where they always have to look over their shoulder, and not to mention they always have to worry about getting injured. Whereas us as psychiatrists, we can absorb a physical injury, still go to work, still, still get paid, not get benched, That's not right. get cut, not yep. get fired, not progress on because we tore ACLs. Right. So it's, a, and, it's a, and we certainly won't get hounded on, on social media. You know? <laughs> we don't won't get told that we're soft, right? Whether that be physically or mentally, we're not in the public spotlight. But even even as like a high school athlete that's hoping to get a scholarship to a big time school, or even hoping just to continue to play the childhood game, who gets an injury, it, it can affect your life tremendously. Yeah, it can alter your life tremendously. So how are you going to bounce back to that? How are you going to show resilience? Chances are, if you've never been tested with something like that before, a life-altering injury or life-altering event, it's it's going to be the first time 
you see what happens and, and it's hard to predict. Yeah, no, for sure. Also, you were kind of touching on, I mean, the, this, the anticipation of the what if factor, right? Like, what if I got injured? You know, you always have to be worried about things, you know, like, what if this, what if that? Because your body, I mean, it's kind of like your lifeline and, you know, and you're putting it through pretty significant stress every day. And, and you know, a lot of these contracts, you know, I, I think they're not really built to protect guys who, who get injured, particularly like long-term injuries. So. I, and I think you see it a lot now with with these big name free agents signing sign a lot of these contracts or like, let's take, for instance, Le'Veon Bell running back, all pro, probably people would argue he's the best running back in the league. Yeah. He yep. takes an entire year off because of the fact that he wants to ser- sign a long-term deal and get paid more money. Overall, he wants to secure that bag because he doesn't want to just do a one-year contract because what can happen in that one-year one contract? He's already blew, blew out his ACL once. What if he blows it out a second time? Sure, yeah. he got paid for that one year, but there's no security in year two, year three, year four. So he held out an entire year so he could sign a four-year contract with more guaranteed money, essentially, due to that fear of injury. And part of that fear was there because he suffered that injury previously or he suffered a season-ending injury previously, and he's getting up there in age. That's right. For a running back, I'm pretty sure he's only like 26, if that. So professional athletes, I mean, I jumped right ahead to that. A lot of stress there. That's right. I want to get an athlete on here someday and and see how worried they are about injuries. I'm sure any professional athlete suffered some sort of injury, at least at some point in his athletic career. Right. Yeah, and adjustment disorder is 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 certainly a, a challenge for those who suffer from it. But one thing I can tell you about it is is not something that's chronic in nature necessarily. So, unlike a similar condition, which we call major depressive disorder, which has episodic symptoms that occur over you know several months, and you know there's. Uh, remission periods mm-hmm. where you don't have symptoms, but then you know you ultimately relapse. relapse yeah. You know over years, adjustment disorder on the other hand is something that it, it may last for you know a couple of weeks to months, but it can be suppressed, and you know for most people won't won't really persist. Usually, once the stressor's gone, right. the symptoms te- tend to fade. And, and I also want to point out that the stressor with regards to adjustment disorder. It's, it's a major stressor, but it's nowhere near like a stressor with regards to a diagnosis of like PTSD or acute stress disorder. Right. That is like a life or death st- stressor, essentially, yeah. uh, whether witnessed or heard about. So adjustment disorders here. Um, so the first thing that pops in my head and we already talked about was injuries. We Everyone knows their, their favorite running back has torn his ACL and it's cost you your fantasy football championship or one, and your chance at the belt. In my league, we play with a championship belt. Um, I won it once. Yeah. Anyways. You look um, like one of those kind of guys. <laughs> wait. We're in a league together, and I'm pretty sure I won this past year. Yeah, I, yeah, don't, know how, I, did. I don't know how you pulled that oh. off. I really don't. Yes, I'm the champ. Forgot about that totally. And Armin was in the league, and I think he got, what, did you get last? No, you came back. You got like, you made the playoffs. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, yeah, ACL is huge. I think we talked I think about I, this. I think a I was l- number three. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that. I think I took but you. I out, was though. I was the first champion. I took you out though. If you if you recall, yeah, don't get me started on that league. That was awful. <laughs> Jeez, I couldn't pick up a defense till week five. Are you kidding me? Where the waiver wire was so messed up. Anyways, ACL injury. We talked about this a little bit in the inaugural episode, but look at this. They have the, they call it ACL depression syndrome because 
they say that 40 people, wow. 40% oh, yeah. of people yeah. who suffer an ACL injury have diagnosable depression after the injury. Wow. So they have to, like, you got to screen these ACL repairs. Um, that's, a, that's a frustrating injury. You're out the whole year yeah. for recovery, and then you're missing summers, you're missing practice, you're missing preseason, and you're probably not going to be at the same level you were the previous year. So it's a major effect to your physical ability, but also it affects your mental well, absolutely, and as a fan um, of many sports, I uh, there's a lot of guys that are never the same. I mean, you know, they just never come back, and I and I have to believe that in many of those circumstances, orthopedics um, has came a long way, though. No, it has. it has. It's come a long way. It's come a long way. But I have to imagine in some of those cases where guys didn't necessarily bounce back, that you know, part of it was psychological. You know, part of it was in their head. Absolutely. Because orthopedic surgeons are so good at their job now, a lot of it does depend on kind of your mindset and yeah. how resilient you are. Yep. Just, I mean, everyone's going to get affected by injury differently. You don't necessarily have to have strong or weak mental strength. It's, it's, it's so random what happens. But here's what ACL depression syndrome. So we're saying when someone suffers an ACL tear, that anterior crucial ligament tear, that 40% of the time they're going to develop clinical depression. So when you're depressed, you're obviously not as motivated. Um, you have no energy. So you're not going to follow through with your physical therapy. Your, your physical rehab is much. So that's going to inhibit you from recovering from your ACL injury. But it's the depression itself is also working physiologically inside your body, affecting how your body repairs the ACL injury. It's causing increases to what's called interleukin-1, which affects the formation of, of bones. It also messes with cortisol and other interleukins and tumor necrosis factors, which in turn increase inflammation. And everyone knows that inflammation is a hindrance to, to recovery. So this is wild stuff. It, it acts almost like a uh, double-edged sword, yep. or it's like one of those, what is those, those heavy balls with spikes all around that you swing with a chain? Yeah. There's like a villain. From, Mason? Like a villain from one of like the action figures I had as a kid. And his weapon was like that. We need to get that like thing. someone that's on the computer that can search trivia for us and fill in the blanks. That'd be sick. <laughs> Someday, maybe. for sure, for sure. Did, have we talked about retirement yet? No, but I'll, before we get into retirement, because I want to get in retirement. I so want. I want to talk retirement. about concussions real quick, because we're gonna have to do our own podcast on concussion. Yeah, but you're, yeah imagine yeah. playing the NFL. You also, you're not only scared to get your knees taken off, but you're also scared to get your head that, taken nowadays, off. Nowadays, that's a big deal. Oh yeah, that's a big deal. And now, especially with the, you know the CTE thing and and all the attention that got, people know that Ooh. you know how it can get. Before we jump into concussion, let's talk about one of the most famous athletes. You probably know mm -hmm. who's still playing today that suffered a huge ACL. Thing. Okay, and he was on top of the game at this time. Okay, and he was a basketball player. Got it. And he was the youngest ever MVP. And he took LeBron to, what, six games in the Eastern Conference Finals back in, uh, I'm yeah. not sure what year. Derrick Rose, ladies and gentlemen. No, that's a crazy story, man. I, I don't even know what to, it's like D. Rose. D. Rose blew, so here's what D. Rose Because he was, he, he, he literally, I, I don't think there has been a story quite where it went from so, so much potential to so, such a huge precipitous decline. I mean, the, that word potential is frustrating but he i mean he won the mvp so he's damn successful anyways no he's it's but, crazy you know so he had an acl injury during the playoffs in 2012 right i'm not what year did he win the mvp 
he won he won the MVP when he was twenty three the year before two thousand eleven. Yeah, so he's coming off an MVP season. I don't know if they were the one seed that year because I'm pretty sure that they were the one seed. No, I don't think they were the one seed in two thousand twelve, but two thousand eleven they were the one seed, right? They got beat by the Miami Heat, uh, LeBron's first year in Miami. That's right. In the Eastern Conference Finals in six games, and then the next year I think the Heat had to be the one seed. But anyways, he tears his ACL. They're one of the two best teams. They took LeBron to six games. He's coming off an MVP season. Blew out his ACL. That's right. How does he respond? Like, that's a how would anyone respond, first of all? You're on the top, the tippity top, Mount Everest of, of sports. You win the MVP. Mind you, LeBron James is in his prime. Steph Curry just starting out, maybe. I don't think he was quite there yet, but I think Dwayne Wade and LeBron. KD, were, yeah, KD you know, was still the was just a young snake in the grass, maybe like a worm in the grass. He's getting there, but you said Kobe in the game. He just swoops in in the youngest MVP in the history of the NBA. Think about the NBA. How many studs? Twenty three years old, That's MVP. Right. That's right. And then he blows out his knee. Unbelievable. And uh, how, how would how's he going to respond after the blowout knee? I often think about. D Rose and I wonder to myself like who he had in his camp, you know, who he had in his corner, who his community was. Mm-hmm. Was the team able to provide, you know, the right sort of comprehensive treatment for him? You know, were they looking into how you know how he was doing emotionally, you know, and to what extent, you know? So I think about those things. Yeah. And uh, the team and obviously D Rose know the details there. But all we know is you didn't really hear much about him until actually this past season, which actually makes this a pretty good story. So, yeah, he I'm not sure what year he ended up getting traded to the Knicks mm-hmm. and then I think either waived or traded to the Cavaliers. And then he got randomly left. He had a couple more injuries. I think he had a second injury when he was with the Bulls, um, a meniscus or something. But essentially until this past year, when you start hearing his name again on Sports Center, dropping yeah. like thirty point games and triple doubles, and who knows what he went through during that time? I don't know if he's spoken publicly about it, but I do have some quotes um, that he talked about over. He did an interview this past year, and he said that this past summer it was the first summer in four years since he was healthy to have like a enjoyable. He said enjoyable off season. So he had no rehab obligations. He went on family trips to Greece. He went to Turks and Caicos. He went to see J. Cole concert. Like he was balling out. He went to see Drake. Um, He also went to see Sam Smith in San Diego. It's very um, interesting taste in music. So he said, it it let my body heal. I went to three concerts. I went on vacay. Most of the time I I wasn't able to do that. My last year in New York, I had a huge trip for my family planned to Turks, but I had to get surgery. So he had to cancel the trip. He said that it was the first time he enjoyed a summer. Yeah, since There's a lot there since that initial ACL surgery that was um, seven years, eight years prior. When I listened to that, the thing that stood out the most was he said this is like the first off season that he felt had joy, experienced joy. Yeah, right. So okay, let me get this straight. You're telling me that for the last eight years, your off season. Right, so like the time so you're not playing six basketball. years, so okay, it would have been years. six years. But for the last six years, your period of rest, right? I mean, yeah, of course you're going to train in the off season, but it's supposed to be like your period of rest and relaxation, essentially vacation from your profession, right? Mm-hmm. And they get like, a long vacation. He's so he's basically 
kind of, I mean, he's almost like saying, you know, if I'm reading between the lines that it's been a long time since during his vacation period that he was happy. That's, uh, that's profound. And of course, you know, he was going through a lot with the injury and bouncing back and forth between different teams and different cities and there's a lot to think about with that. I, th- I do think now that he had a full healthy season with the Minnesota Timberwolves, probably had one of his best seasons, probably part of that, obviously physically healthy. Mm-hmm. But I think too, he had, he had a, he said he had an enjoyable off season. So he probably came into the season ment- mentally healthy. That's right. And that factored in just as much as his physical health and, and they work synergistically together. Uh, just so happens. So it led him to have a really good season. I can't wait to see what else is in store for him because he's still young. He's still killing it. So That's right. He had a great season. Yeah. He was on my fantasy team. What it's, place did you get this year? Seventh or eighth? Uh, yeah, that, I was... That's pretty yeah. good for you. That's pretty good for you, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so good luck to D. Rose. We're D. Rose fans. So that is good for you, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> Come on, dude. That's pretty good. <laughs> So let's let's jump into um, let's jump into concussion. It is an injury. It is a thing. Even though people hate the NFL's concussion protocol, I think people hate it because they it's just there's just a misunderstanding. And I think the reason that is is because concussion is is something difficult to really understand, right? We talked about in the intro. It's you're you're not really seeing any structural damage. No, when someone has a concussion. No, nope. you're seeing like microscopic nothing on imaging. Gopic changes. That's right. But it's mostly a functional diagnosis. You make the diagnosis based off a clinical examination of yeah, physical functioning. Exam. Yeah. Well, yeah. So essentially. Because you're not going to get anything on imaging. You won't be able to use other things to make to help make the diagnosis. Yeah. You just have to go. So that's on. just that's another huge injury athletes have to deal with bouncing back from. But we'll do a whole other podcast to that. I wanted to quickly talk about this is what they talk about when you have an injury. There's an injury phase. So after you experience an injury, an athlete needs help dealing with their, the motions of that injury. And essentially, we want to give them more education with regards to the injury, not just us specifically because we're, we're the psychiatrist. But I think anyone who has an injury and sees a doctor, that doctor needs to properly educate them on the injury and what the rehab process is going to be like. So Absolutely. I think really strong communication from not only the, the medical team, but also strong communication with the coaching staff with the trainers, and maybe even with the teammates to, to have realistic expectations and standards, maybe some reassurance from the coaching staff. But mostly from the medical staff, from our standpoint, we want the orthopedic surgeons to give them all the education with regards to what to do appropriately so their knee heals. We want the neurologist to give them the education appropriately so their head heals. You just got to educate. But, you know, one thing about, about concussion and, and uh, traumatic brain injury just as many of the of the major symptoms that classify the illness are psychiatric as they are neurologic you know so you you absolutely have to have a psychiatrist involved or you should if you if you want to give ideal care to a person that is suffering from traumatic brain injury and yeah. and uh those symptoms and i think sports psychologists Concussion. can come into play a lot here because you can work with a sports psychologist and you can set your goals, kind of right. make sure your motiv- motivation is in the right place. You can overcome that fear of that anxiety of having a re-injury because it's there or that fear and, and anxiety of getting your spot taken while you're not at practice That's right. or maybe never getting back to that 
ability you had before. And we can help with that too as sports psychiatrists. Absolutely, that's what we're here for. So there's all these different fears and things that, that athletes may have when they get injured. Pretty much you're testing your bounce back ability, your resilience. This, this word resilience is probably going to come up so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a cornerstone. So we're talking about goal setting. We're talking about confidence building. We're talking about working on your mindset. We're talking about the social support. You need to have strong social support to get through this. Working on not only your, your mindset, but your expectations. Here's the thing you can do. Say you have a knee injury, so you can't get up and run. Well, let's take Victor Oladipo, for example. Uh-oh. You know, he ruptured his quad. Looked like a nasty knee injury. So he can't walk. He has surgery. But what's he doing? He's sitting on a chair shooting hoops, shooting threes from a chair. Oh, yeah. What's the next step? He's shooting threes just standing up, not even moving. He's got a lot of money. He's got someone to rebound the ball and give it to him. She's shooting threes, stand still. Slow progression, maybe he'll walk, catch and shoot. Eventually he'll be jumping. Eventually he'll be in a game. So he's working his way. He's doing these sports-specific exercises to work his way back in the game. That's awesome. Other things you can do is you can go over things in your head. Maybe he's just visualizing hitting that game winner over LeBron's face in the 2020 finals. Game seven, Lakers versus Pacers. <laughs> all right, I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyways, these are all different things that athletes can do to kind of get back from an injury. And I, I don't know if you want to touch on resilience a little bit, but, I mean, we talked about it a lot, but I, we, we can't hammer this home enough. No, you're right. Listen, I, I think um, as psychiatrists and just I think the mental, mental health community in, in general, mental health care community in general, I think one of the most important gifts we can give to our patients is resilience. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do through our medicine and through our therapy is build resistance, build, you know, the the, the right strong defenses, strong, appropriate defenses against some of the these different pressures. And uh, with concussion, as we were talking about. That's got to be so difficult to bounce yeah, back from. No, really. Uh, especially when you start having like cognitive yeah. deficits, you know, where you're not able to concentrate Especially as well. A lot of people compare it to like goes. having a hangover. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. I mean, resilience, you know, it, it starts from, from day one. And I think it, it starts with having your attachments, your uh, your your primary caregivers. Who's the prover- What does that even mean? Babies. Well, you know, like with just the, the mom and her baby, you know, it starts mm-hmm. there. And, and that nurturing, breastfeeding, petting, the kissing, the, you know, all those things. Skin to skin bonding. time. All that stuff, yeah. man. You know, and, the, and just very positive interactions. and Absolutely. You can't um, di- discount that enough. There is yeah. a field of, believe it or not, infant psychiatry. Oh, yeah. It's booming here at UCLA. I'm going to do a rotation next year. Oh, no. That's going to be, uh, that's gonna be uh, I think, awesome experience. We're mostly working with the moms, guys. Come on. But, yeah, it starts there. And then, you know, I think it, it then, you know, translates into, you know, h- how we are able to navigate those kind of pivotal moments of maturity throughout life, like potty training, like our first words, you know, like learning how to say yes and say no and, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of voice your opinion and form a conclusion and, you know, just the the whole development of the whole process, you know, it's important that those stages are happening with a certain security. Security blanket, yeah. 
and uh, and and so there, you know, everybody's going to have a different experience, but you know, you want those experiences to feel safe. Yeah. So the, the kid, it's all about developing confidence. Yeah. So you have to you have to overcome some sort of challenge to test that confidence. So the confidence may come from having your mom by your side initially. Um, but over time, you, because you have that, like Armin said, that safety blanket or what we like to call a holding environment, you have the confidence to venture out. So take, for example, you go to the beach for the first time with your parents as a toddler. And when you dip your toes in, in the water for the first time, most likely you're holding one of your parents' hands because you're nervous, you're scared. But after being at the beach for a couple hours, you got your beach towel nearby. Maybe you venture down to the water by yourself looking back the entire time to make sure that your one of your parents is watching, but you're doing it on your own now, uh, knowing that you have that safety blanket or that holding environment behind you, and but you, but you're doing it on your own. That's what's important. You're overcoming a challenge. You're overcoming a fear, and it's through that that you develop confidence, and it's through that that you develop resilience, which I, I hope all of us can develop. Hopefully, and most of us will, and and for various reasons. I think genetic being probably among the most significant, but also uh, a very powerful influence is the environment around us as we develop these stages. If that families are our, our, our home, the home around us is not consistent, there's a lot of chaos. So, you know, yeah. Some social theorists with just social learning or just modeling. It's as easy yeah, as ha- right. like having your mom or your dad or an uncle or an older brother who you can model off of. So if they are resilient, you're going to be resilient. Yeah. And because they're going to kind of transmit that onto you just through your interactions, through your observations, the things you're just absorbing because you're just, you're just a sponge. Oh, you're, you're a sponge spo- when you're from you know, day one. From, oh, from even before and day toddler. One. Yeah, absolutely. You're soaking it all up. So. Yeah, you're going to take all that in and, and you're going to be able to use that to your advantage. And if you don't have that around you, if instead you have chaos, if you're in kind of isolated and you have to kind of figure it out for yourself, that can be very anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. The earlier you have to navigate those kinds of feelings, earlier in life you have to navigate those, those kinds of feelings of feeling unsafe, like feeling like you know, you're not secure, the more likely you are to, to have anxiety-related conditions. Yeah, and difficulty with like, Something like resilience. Yeah. But I, I like how you say just more than likely because there's plenty of people who have faced tremendous challenges in life, mm-hmm. come from disadvantaged backgrounds, who despite that or because of that, absolutely, were able to develop a resilience, a yeah. strong sense of self and a drive, an insane drive and motivation to bring themselves up out of that. Which is kind of the beauty of life. Exactly. Right? Because it's it's the, it's a genetic sweepstakes. I mean, mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to get. And you could be very uh, fortunate to have a set of genes that make you very resistant and very resilient yeah. uh, in, in the face of, you know, mental health challenges. Tremendous, tra- tremendous yeah. challenge. Not just mental health. Yeah. I think... It's, it's it's so many different mixtures. You mentioned genetics, your biology. The also environmental is huge. Those are probably like fifty fifty, and then just sprinkle on a little bit of chance, luck. Definitely, different things fall different ways. You never know. So just as someone from a disadvantaged background could be hindered by that, but also can use that as an advantage to strengthen them and overcome it. Someone from like a well privileged background, what's the what's the psychiatric term they use nowadays? 
It's not a psychiatric term, but you hear it from time to time. Affluenza. (laughs) Affluenza. So if you're from a privileged background, you have a safe environment to go back to. You have a safe holding environment. You have all the safety you need, essentially. But maybe you have helicopter parents, or the new term nowadays is lawnmower parents. Have you heard that? They no, look. which one? What is Helicopter that? parents are the ones that just like are hanging right above you, keeping an eye on everything yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that one. Lawnmower parents are the ones that clear the path for you so you have no obstacles and no challenges in your life. Oh, Everything's yeah. just easy. That's the new age. Right. So that's what we're seeing. And that's, I mean, that's got to be detrimental. Oh, for sure. I mean, Talk about I, failure to launch. that also increases your risk of lack of sense of self, yeah. depression, anxiety. In a lack of resilience because you've never tested that confidence. Right. That's a, it's a false confidence. That confidence isn't coming from within. It's coming from the external force. That's and right. mom and dad aren't going to be able to clear the path the rest of the way. Hell, they're even, they even just took out those, those rich parents, the girl from Step by Step or Full House, the girl from Full House. They just oh, like, yeah. you can't, the, the yell. Bri- can't bribe the schools to go to college anymore. So they're, they're getting rid of that. Although <laughs> I can't know, believe granted, they took that down. Yeah. That, so, but I feel like that's been going on for I know th- since so the lawn, beginning of time, lawn, right? Lawnmower I mean, parenting's been been here, and unfortunately, if you have enough money, you can get a lot of stuff done in this country. There's pros and cons of uh, capitalism. So yeah, resilience. It's 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 a pretty much a wild card. You have no idea if you're going to have it or not when you're born, yep. and it's just this weird recipe throughout life. And then boom, you get hit with a stressful event. And you don't know which way you're going to go. Although I'm pretty confident I'm resilient. Oh, Never yeah. had a big injury. I cut my cheek once. Had is, to get it ti- is it time for retirement yet? I've been dying to talk about retirement. No, I want to jump. I want to talk about one more thing before retirement. One more retirement. thing. Okay. Because you're going to like this topic. Okay. This is especially for you and your boy LeBron Blames. <laughs> or James. I keep the forgetting King. his name. I get it confused. Competitive losses. Oh, yeah. Is that and a stressful like, event? Does that, would that qualify? And by losses, you're referring to failures. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would say that's pretty stressful. Especially to high-level athletes who yes. kind of pin their especially to their, their sense of self on their success within their sport. Yeah, especially high-profile professional yeah. athletes. Maybe the pressure is not necessarily coming from within, but it's coming from the outside, and it's crushing, and it's piercing. It requires you to make a burner account on Twitter. It requires you to join a team coming off a record 73 win season that just took your team out despite being up 3 1. Yeah. It's a driver for a lot of things. No, it is. No, you're absolutely right. That fear of failure. Fear, yeah, fear of failure. And again, got to go back to this the social media thing, man. Like, you're talking about what millions of followers on, you know, your Twitter feed and, and, you know, Instagram and, and, and that's a lot of pressure, you know. You have like this audience, and everybody kind of feels like they can have an opinion, and and a lot of these guys seem to really kind of take a lot of that stuff personal, yeah, and go personally. So like, it's yeah, tough. it's tough. But LeBron James, yeah, I have quotes from him after he Listen, lost that 2011 Finals against the Mavs. What LeBron you hear James accomplished in 2015. Let's go back to 11 because I want to set the stage for this. He grew his resilience through this. So LeBron James, everyone knows he joins the big three, Miami. The decision, not one, not five, six, seven championships, whatever he did. They lose to the Mavs in the finals. And he played awful. 
quite frankly. It was him. It, they lost because of him. Let's not go. Let's not well, go that far. That that's going too far. No, no. Come, you you love LeBron James. You know how much of a talent he is. You think if LeBron James played up to his potential that series, they would have lost the series. I think that. Well, I, I think they absolutely would have won that series if so, he played his played his potential. Okay, so, so I get, I like where your head's at because I think what you're saying is maybe Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh or his support system, coaching no. staff could have bolstered him up a little bit so he. They could have done something differently, so he played to his potential. Is that no, what you're trying he, to no. say? LeBron, even well, okay. So it's not all so on him. LeBron was the best sense. player on the team, right? So it Didn't was look his. Like at that finals, though. Yeah, so he he was the best player on the team, and therefore it it was his obligation to uh, to bring it home for him, and he didn't. You know, and, and there's there's no excuse. He doesn't get a pass. There's no excuse for for what happened. Of course, you could always say. Guys like D Wade, you know, if they had played better, Bosch had played better. I think, in in many ways, no one in the team really played, you know, to their full potential. But I mean, D Wade right. had a pretty good series, but I'd have to look at the numbers. Um, but LeBron James, you're right; he was the best player on that team, and he was supposed to be the number one. And instead, he was the number two. Yeah, he, he shrank. A, he he shrank. Tough, it seemed like he shrank. This is what he moment. said. He said uh, after that Finals loss, and you would expect this out of a champion, someone who's built himself around wanting to be the best. Um, he said, quote, unquote, I felt like the world had caved in. He said he left the arena that night and immediately went into a two-week depression. That's what he said, walling himself off from everyone. He didn't play basketball. He didn't talk basketball to pretty much anyone. He didn't even shave, he said. He said, quote, unquote, I thought it would be easy because I was teaming up with some real players. Hmm. You go down there, we lose that finals. I felt like the world had caved in. I'm not happy that I lost, but I left the finals like, yo, Braun, what the fuck was you on, man? Is that, do I sound like him? You were overthinking everything. You didn't show up. You didn't Pretty do close. what you were supposed to do. And now you can't even sleep at night because you didn't give it all you had. You nailed it. You want me to keep going? He goes, after that finals, I was like, that's never happened again. I may lose again. I may not win everything, but I'll never fail again. Hmm. He says right here, that was my greatest achievement to overcome that. And I believe him because he, he was never really the same player Again, I think it, from that point forward, he really played much more loose. And when he played in that next final series... And that's that's why I wanted to bring he, this up, because I think that set the stage yeah. for what was next. That's right. He What did he go on to do after this? Yeah, no, he went on to beat OKC with uh, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden that following year to uh, to bring that, that championship to Miami. One of uh, two. Yeah. yeah. He, so they yeah, won, was two, huge, they won two in Miami. They ended right. up losing, I think, to the Spurs that last year. Yeah. Then what did he do? Then he went home. That's right. He went home to Cleveland, and uh, he continued his uh, final streak. And he changed, too. When he went back home, he didn't have to make it a show. He said he went back home, and his goal this time, just won. He just wanted to win one from his, home, his hometown. That's what he did. That's exactly what he did. All right, so on all uh, accounts, it looks like he's changed. He overcame that. So what did he, it was huge. What man. did he end up doing was, in Cleveland? It was it was huge. So it was the uh, the first championship that the entire city. So for any sports uh, professional sports Cleveland franchise, yeah, he brought Cleveland his first championship. Jim Carrey, no, in over Drew forty Carey. Sorry, Drew years, Carey. over forty years. I don't want to disrespect Jim like that. Um, First that was in forty years, over forty years. Yeah, it was. Cra- it's it's amazing. It's like fifty, um, fifty-seven, something. Right 
and uh, and they had a lot of disappointment. Dis- you know, I mean, if you look over the history, they came so close, always so close. And and they even had, even this time, I mean, it was it came down to the you know the wire and, and Kyrie's big shot. They got Kyrie, out of shape, Sean and, Camp and, Le- and LeBron's big block and all that. Man, that was uh, he did it. He that did block it. And he was beat crazy. It was it was monster. It's going to go down in annals of NBA history. But <clears throat> man, he beat a probably the greatest regular season team of all time. You know, certainly yeah, they, they the hold record, the, re- the record seventy three yeah, wins. Yep, that's right. So. I don't know. It was, it was and big. And they were up three-one. Had home court advantage. Yeah, the way he did it, the way he did it, that was that was probably the most impressive part. Yeah, some may argue Kyrie was the one, LeBron was the two, but that's I'm not here to discuss that. And um, here's the thing: he would, he, 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 I, I have, I doubt very seriously he could have pulled that off in 2011. You know what I mean? Like oh, before he went through that transformation. Absolutely. I think what he went through in 2011 allowed him to bounce back from a 3-1 deficit. That's right. To allow him to take a Cleveland-based team to a championship. Yep. Across the finish line. And now he's out here in sunny Los Angeles for God knows what reason. I think he's going to make the transition out of basketball into the... Well, he's already a mogul. Yeah. You know, he's already... He's got that show on HBO. High-level businessman. The uh, uh, elitist echo chamber. Taking the entertainment industry by storm. Got a lot of great projects in the in the in the works. Um, I, I hope to get him on this show at some point. Yeah, you know, or I want to love to talk to talk, him. At least, yeah. I'm curious as to why he posts so much of, of, about his highlights on Instagram. I'd like to ask him about that. Yeah, um, be, be a great conversation. I just worry that he's not. Uh, he's he's outsources validation to others. Yeah, and and I think there there are dynamics there that could you know. I think Kenny, explored. Kenny Smith said uh, the other night on TNT. I love that show. With Chuck and Shaq, he said that he thinks <laughs> a good uh, show. People they've been in, together for a long time. People in the uh, NBA have the fragilest egos. There are people in sports, and I, I, I kind of resonated with me because I think similarly. I think anyone in the entertainment industry. I think you could argue like actors and actresses, and anyone in the entertainment industry, more so. And it's kind of go, goes with the job. Your whole sense of validation is tied into your wins and losses to your yeah, success. And, and professional high level professional athletes are, are entertainers as much as anything else. Yeah. So you're, you're doing this for the fans. So you're yeah. kind of at the mercy of the fans. That's right. Um, your emotional state will, will, is bound to, to get worse when you're getting booed or when you're, when you're losing, um, you get direct results from your performances. We don't get that as psychiatrists. We don't get like, sometimes we do get high fives and so, from our patients. Sometimes we get cursed out. Um, in the psychiatric emergency department, but we don't get that direct feedback and we don't have an audience cheering us on or booing us. So who are we to talk? But it's built into their development. Uh, I mean, we all played sports and when you get, it all affected us differently. I think Armin talked about it earlier, how he, um, I think it was off mic, you talked about how you got a lot of reinforcement because you were, um, did really well in school, and that motivated you to continue to do well in school. That's right, absolutely. And just like these guys have got have, have got a lot of reinforcement through the the fan fandom that have been watching them play sports since they were kids. It's been a good conversation. It has. We got a lot more to talk about, man, and that's why I wanted to leave retirement to the next podcast. All right. I think that deserves that its own good. podcast. I, lost, I agree. We got a lot of good stats. So let's uh, continue the conversation. Let's end the stigma.